Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Hear God's word. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hannah. Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you today. As we have just heard God's word read, and we're preparing to hear God's word preached, will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together to give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you too, Lord God, for your word. Thank you that it is just as relevant and powerful today as it was when it was first written. And we ask now, Heavenly Father, that you would please give us ears to hear what you're saying, Give us hearts to respond to it. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would please keep me out of your way. And pray this all in your name. Amen. Now, this may not come as a surprise to many of you, but from the time I was a little kid, I was told I talk a lot. Um, I'm still told I talk a lot, but I prefer to think about it more as speaking as opposed to just talking a lot. But as a person who talks a lot or who speaks a lot, I have the opportunity to misuse words. A lot. And uh, just a couple of examples. The first word that was pointed out to me, that I remember being pointed out to me that I misuse, is actually not a word. I wrote it in my notes and it got underlined in red by spell check because it it doesn't really exist. And this non word is irregardless. I was told that that's not a word, so I tried to cut that out of my vocabulary. Another word that all of us, I think, are guilty of misusing is the word literally. Uh, If I hear that word misused another time, my head will literally explode. And this will be the shortest sermon you've ever heard. All of us misuse words. Our culture misuses words. And when, when we misuse words over and over again in the same way, they begin to lose their power. They begin to lose their authority. They, they lose their meaning. And there are plenty of words in our our world that that's happened to. One word that that's happened to, I think, is the word promise. Now, promise is is a powerful word. And when people make a promise, they really do intend to abide by what it means, this firm commitment to do what you've said you're going to do. But every single one of us can think about a time where we've broken a promise or someone has broken a promise to us. It can be a, a simple little thing, where, where it was just a small thing broken, but we can also probably all think of big promises that haven't been kept. Now, we've been in this cruciform life series for the last several weeks, and we've been talking about this, this way of living that's in the shape 
of the cross, how the cross shapes the way we live our lives, the way that we are supposed to live in light of the cross, which is the way we were created to live. And as we live this cruciform life, it will be a life living for the flourishing of the people around us, for the communities that we live in, and literally for the world. The cross shows us how to live a life like Jesus lived. Now, in our our world, our culture, this way of living seems like an upside-down way of living. It, It seems like a foolish way to live. It doesn't make sense for people to live the cruciform life. Making sacrifices of things that other people around us think are important, putting others before ourselves, it just doesn't seem to be something that our world gets, yet it leads to the flourishing of all people in all places. But it's hard to live that way. It's hard to live that way because our culture goes against this cruciform life pattern. Our culture is flowing in a direction that is the opposite of the cruciform life. And we have been caught up in the flow of the life around us a lot more than we realize and a lot more than we want to admit. But there's a promise in our passage this morning. And it comes because of the resurrection. We have an assurance that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can live the cruciform life. Despite the fact that the world is moving opposite of this, the power of the resurrection gives us the promise that we can live the way God intended us to live. And this passage promises because of the resurrection that we'll have new bodies and a new authority. And because of those two things, we not only have hope for the future, but we have hope and power to live our lives the way God intended right now. So this twofold promise changes our future, but also changes the way we live today. And so let's look at this idea of a promise of a new body. Now, as a culture, we are obsessed with our appearance and with our bodies. We work out, we eat right to be healthy, and that's good. But we also, I think, mainly do this to look good. I did a quick Google search and came across this statistic of from 2016, there were 1.8 million people who had cosmetic surgery. This was not necessary surgery. This was surgery simply done because people wanted to look different. They wanted to look better, or at least that's what they thought they were going to look at before they looked like before they had their surgery. I also came across a list of 47, the top 47 anti-aging creams. Now, how is that even a helpful list? 47 different creams to choose from. And if there are 47 top ones, how many bad ones out there are there? Well, regardless of what we think about those things, one thing it does say is that we are obsessed with our appearance and with our bodies. And it probably doesn't take much convincing for any of us to say that that's true. We think about our bodies a lot and the way that they're not doing or looking the way we want them to. I think about this especially every December after the high school lock-in. After spending all night locked in the church building with tons of teenagers, I have a hard time bouncing back. It was a lot easier in my 20s than it is in your 40s, let me tell you. And I am often heard saying throughout the lock-in, I'm not as young as I used to be. And it's true. And there's part of me that wishes I felt the way I did when I was younger, but I don't. And I can't. Now, we do have to be good stewards of our bodies, but I think we, we flirt often and have crossed the line of moving from wanting to take care of ourselves into an obsession with our bodies so that we can put off the inevitable. The reality of the inevitability of our bodies breaking down. I mean, we don't like that rea- reality. 
We don't want to admit that our bodies are breaking down. But because of the sin of Adam, all of us are dealing with the reality that our bodies are breaking down. That's what Paul's talking about when he says in verse 22 that in Adam, all die. Adam is the first head of humanity. And so what he did affects all of us. His sin in the garden brought the curse that we all have to deal with. We see it in the breaking down of our bodies, in the breaking down of our relationships with our friends and our families. We see it within the breakdown of relationships between countries around the world. We see it in injustice and exploitation and the misuses of power. There's no escaping the brokenness that came because of Adam. And the ultimate expression of this is death. Because of Adam, all die. You, me, everyone, we all die. Happy Sunday after Easter. (laughs) But there is good news. There is good news. The resurrection of Jesus has undone all of this. Just as in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. Adam was the first representative of humanity. Jesus is the new representative of humanity, the perfect man, the perfect human. He lived the way that Adam was supposed to live, that he was created to live. Jesus lived in perfect relationship with God and with the world. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserved to die. He was raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. And because of that, we have a promise from God that we will also be made new. And we won't see that physically in this very moment, but we are still being made new spiritually in and through Jesus Christ. And one day we will have new bodies. The resurrection has undone the curse of Adam. Now it's interesting in Jewish culture, especially in in that time, the resurrection was not something that was supposed to happen in the middle of history. It was supposed to be the, the sign of the very end, that redemption had come, that God was going to make, had made all things new. And so for the Jews that Paul was writing to, whether they were followers of Jesus or not, the resurrection in the middle of history seemed strange. It wasn't supposed to happen when it did. But just because it didn't seem to be happening when it was supposed to, doesn't make it not true and doesn't make it less important. In fact, the resurrection happening in the middle of history secures our resurrection. It secures that everything will be made new, including our bodies. And we see this in the phrase that Paul uses when he describes Jesus as the first fruits. Now, I I don't think we have many farmers in our congregation here this morning right now. So for us, this is a phrase that we just don't use on a regular basis. It's not something we're used to seeing or hearing. But what the first fruits were, and it's, it's what they sound like, is the, the very beginning of the harvest. It's the crop that comes up, the fruit, the grain, that came at the very beginning of the harvest. And the people would see this fruit, would see this grain, and they would have an idea of what was to come. It was a sign of the future. And the Israelites, they even had a festival of first fruits. And in this festival, they would take the beginning part of their harvest and they would offer the fruit and the grain to God, thanking him for his faithful provision in the past, but also thanking him for his faithful provision for the future and trusting in him that while they are sacrificing this part of their harvest, they know that God will provide for them. What's also interesting is that the festival of first fruits happens three days after Passover, which was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
So Jesus is the first fruits, the sign of what's to come. And just as Jesus has a body, a recognizable body, a resurrected body, so will those who belong to him have a new body, a perfect body, a body that's free of illness, free of disease, a body that doesn't break down, a body that doesn't ache or have pain, that doesn't wear the ravages of sin and death any longer. Those who died in Christ will be raised with new bodies when Jesus returns. And those who are still alive at that time will be glorified so that they'll be made new too. Jesus has done this. It's been promised. And so it's inevitable that this will happen to all who believe and belong in Jesus. Because of the resurrection, we will have new bodies. And this is the first part of this two-part promise. The second, though, is a promise of new authority. As As we look at verse 24, it says, Then the end will come. And when I see this phrase, the end, it reminds me of movies from an earlier time where the hero rides off in the sunset and the big white letters, the end, appear in bold print on the screen. It's a sign the movie's over. It's time to fade to black and time for you to go somewhere else. When Paul says the end is here or the end will come, he's not referring to a fade to black, it's done. But instead, what he's saying is the redemptive work of Jesus has been accomplished. The goal has been achieved. And from there, we will live with God's full reign over everything in a very obvious and visible way. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' work of redemption, not the stop of something, but the beginning of God's full reign over all things, when things will be made the way they're supposed to be. But before all of this accomplishes, is accomplished, Jesus is going to destroy some things. We see that in verse 24 again. It says that Jesus will destroy all dominion, authority, and power. And in scripture, often when those three words are put together, it's referring to demonic forces. And Paul then is using these words to describe things that are contrary to God's reign and rule. Demonic things, as well as human structures in place that run counter to the way that God intended for us to live, the way that keeps people from flourishing. Jesus will destroy those things. And as we read through the Gospels, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see Jesus doing just those things as he heals people, even as he raises people from the dead, as he brings justice to those who are stuck in injustice, as he elevates the lowly. Jesus is working against those things that are working against God's created order. And that includes death. Theologian N.T. Wright says, Since death is the unmaking of God's creation, resurrection will be its remaking. That and nothing less is the Christian hope. Once death is 100% defeated, God's reign will be over all. His authority will be over all things. And this is how we'll know we'll be resurrected. Because if we're not resurrected, then death still has a final say over those who are in Christ. And if that's the case, then Jesus' resurrection is pointless. God has the power over death. We see that in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if God can raise Jesus, he can and will raise us. Death will only be fully, completely defeated if it has power over no one who is in Christ. So Jesus' resurrection promises our resurrection and demonstrates God's authority over all things. And that, at that point, God's rule will be over everything 
and they will be the way they're supposed to be. We'll be in a right and perfect relationship with God and with one another. And so by God's authority, the resurrection promises this. When Jesus is raised from, was raised from the dead, it began a chain reaction. Like the first domino in the long line of dominoes has been knocked down. The last domino will inevitably fall. And since Jesus has been raised, we can know that the promise of God making all things new will happen. And in this, we can find hope. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to look forward to that hope, if if we were living in this life right now, where we didn't have to worry about brokenness, where we didn't have to worry about things not being the way they're supposed to be. The chain reaction has started. Jesus has been raised from the dead, but things aren't right yet. God's victory has already begun, but it's not fully here yet. Now, I know this time of year is stressful for our high school seniors uh, because for the last few months, and maybe you remember this actually from being a senior or perhaps you know a high school senior, but over the last few months, these seniors have been filling out college applications and they've been sending them off to school. And just in the last couple of weeks, most of them have been hearing back from their schools of choice. Some of them have heard back and have been able to respond with great joy, while others have been able to respond with a little bit less joy. But regardless of where they are, they do have an idea for what's to come. They have a pretty good idea what their fall will look like. And so they can think about what next year is going to be, but they're still in high school right now. They've been accepted to their colleges and universities. They have their plans for the fall laid out, whatever they may be, but they still have to endure the final weeks of their senior year. They have a vision for the future, for what's going to happen. And that vision influences the way that they live right now. And so while the promise of a new body and a new authority gives us hope for the future, what does it mean for us today as we leave this place? What does it look like for us tomorrow and in the days and weeks ahead? It means that we can live differently now. That we can live confidently. We can live confidently that God's victory has happened and it will fully arrive. We can live the cruciform life in response to this. And that looks like maybe when things aren't the way they're supposed to be and we see that, we intervene. It can be something also as simple as alternate merging, which we've been preaching about for weeks here. It can mean something far more complicated than than yielding our right of way in traffic. It can mean something like offering forgiveness when another person doesn't even think they've done anything wrong to us. It could be reconciling with a brother or sister in our family or in a community that we're part of. It could be offering help when it's inconvenient for our schedule. Perhaps it looks like sacrificing things that you used to think were important and the world around us says is of the utmost importance. It means following the way of Jesus, putting others before ourselves, living a life that may appear foolish to those who don't know Jesus. And we can do this because of what we celebrate at the table this morning. Jesus giving himself for us. That God's adopted us as his beloved children We can live a cruciform life because we belong to Christ. That's true for you as an individual. It's true for us together as the church. As Paul talks about the first fruits, yes, it's true for us as individuals, but we can also, as a community of believers gathered together, be a type of first fruits for what the reign of God's 
rule will look like in all its fullness. A community of people working together for the flourishing of others, working for the flourishing of our neighborhoods, for the people around our city who are in need of justice and reconciliation. For the world, we can be working to bring the gospel and God's peace where there's great turmoil. The church can be the foretaste of the fullness of God's kingdom in Richmond, in, the, in our country, and around the globe. So what does that look like for you as an individual in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood? at your workplace or school or on your sports team, in your clubs, in the groups that you spend time with, during your leisure activities. What does that look like? What does it look like for third church to be the type of church that is a demonstration of the first fruits of the coming of God's kingdom? We can imagine that. We can pretend what that might look like. But because of the resurrection, we don't have to only pretend. We can do the things that God is leading us to do. We can be the people and community that demonstrates what it's like to be the first fruits of the kingdom of God. Would you please pray that God reveals what it looks like for you as an individual to live this out, as well as for us as a church to live in light of the promise that we have because of the resurrection? The resurrection has happened. There's a guarantee, a promise of a new body, a new authority over all things. And because of this promise, we can live a cruciform life. And in light of this, then, may we be people who live a life that demonstrates to the world around us what the coming of God's kingdom and rule will look like. May we be people who are the first fruits of the kingdom, and may God's name be praised in all we do. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that your victory has already begun. And Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you were raised from the dead and because of this we have the promise of a new body and your new authority moving in this world. Heavenly Father, please help us to see what it is you're calling us to do as individuals and as a community. Lord, thank you that because of the work of the Spirit within us, we can be a type of first fruits a sign of the kingdom of God at work and on the move in this world. Please make that so, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.